Oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin. Hello and welcome to episode 49 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Nugabauer, coming to you live to air from sunny, warm, suburban Toronto, Ontario, Canada. In fact, I am at the Vaughan City Centre Libra- Resource Library, uh, broadcasting from this beautiful, cheap as free to me, makerspace. Support your local libraries, folks. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. It is Thursday, September 19th, 2019, the Thursday after the 14th Sunday of Pentecost, if you're counting. I do not have R2 with me, but I do have a bottle of water. Very important. That's what water uh, sounds like. And yeah, just getting used to this space. Hopefully it sounds nice. Uh, hopefully I'm using, using a much more professional microphone setup. So... One bit of news I'll say, two bits of news uh, before I dive in. Uh, you know, this this podcast was, of course, in part inspired by Beltway Banthas, and we talk about politics on here. Uh, another shout out to that wonderful podcast that I'm glad is back. Um, talking about politics, Canadian politics, and we have our uh, election coming up, 43rd. Canadian election, and I won't be terribly partisan here. I will say one thing uh, related to supporting your local library. See, there's this thing called taxes, <laughs> and what taxes do is send our hard-earned money, well-earned, and invests it into this public pot called municipal government, and among among others, centralized institutions, public institutions, that. If we're active enough and willing enough to uh, say this is what we want and this is what we hope for, sometimes they give us, this this municipal government and, and other governments, of course, give us these nice things called libraries and roads and uh, other public goods. Um, and yeah, I'm here enjoying this public library, beautiful space, uh, the Vaughan City Center Resource Library, I believe it's called here in uh, Maple, and it's actually nicely, nice and close to a parish I'm hanging out at a little bit, St. Stephen's Maple. Um, I'll be, as I find my footing here and back in the Diocese of Toronto and in Toronto in general. So yeah, public institutions, libraries, that's all going to politics right now. Um, I will say, yeah, so then the, I, I don't know how much I'll be able to comment going forward. Um, but you know, certainly faith is political. Star Wars is political, and yes, even though I'm using public funds to record this, I think I can express my voice and my thoughts. Okay, I need some water immediately <laughs> as I figure out this space and get the feel of it. Right? I mean, anything new. You're in a new situation. You're figuring <laughs> figuring out what you. Uh, what you can do, how you feel, how you sound, and uh, hopefully this sounds nice and crisp and uh, close and intimate and also very professional and podcasty. So <laughs> this is primarily was a Star Wars podcast. Um, now I've expanded it into multiple fandoms, uh, Star Trek, Star well, continuing with Star Wars. Um, next week, I'm le- hopefully, or next few weeks, going to look at the Killjoys series finale, among other things. So, and then combining that when, and, and interpreting that in the light of 
uh, Christian faith and scripture and um, yeah, where I come from as a person <laughs> in the world. So hopefully uh, if you're new, welcome listening on Anchor or, or Spotify or I think it might be Google Podcasts now. I'm not quite sure. But uh, hopefully you find this interesting. Um, definitely, you know, Christian faith is where I come from, but um, definitely open to interfaith voices, those of no faith. Uh, just a, a, understanding our fandoms more intellectually is really the overarching mission of, of this intellectually, philosophically, and spiritually. And so I do believe I've been able to put together a nice little set of podcasts specifically about the prequel trilogy, and we'll get to that very soon, uh, looking at Christian themes in the prequel trilogy. But, of course, it goes beyond the prequel trilogy, it goes to uh, you know, the new films as well as Again, like I said, other fandoms expanding that because I have things to say and thoughts and uh, hopefully if I get guests on, have thoughts there too. So that's what this podcast is about. If you're new again, welcome. If you're old and longtime listener, welcome back. Uh, I'm glad to be back doing this again in this new space. So uh, the next bit of news, and I, I well, don't do much news heavy here, but thought I'd throw it in it is relevant that the hard copy version of uh dooku jedi lost is out it's really what it is is really a radio play um that details count dooku well first of all padawan dooku you know coming well finding his family finding out who his family is by accident and then all the the connections and tensions inherent there, and it, it is an amazing listen. I would have liked the uh, the voices from Clone Wars to reprise their roles. They don't do that, unfortunately, except for Mark the Cannon Legend Thompson comes back as Yoda, which is fantastic. Anytime Mark the Cannon Legend Thompson does something, he's not reprising his role. Sorry, from Clone Wars, but. Uh, Whenever he does anything, he's fantastic. Just like Thrawn, Treason, I listened to. That was okay of a story. I didn't mind it, knowing what it was. Uh, but Mark Thompson always knocks that out of the park. And, of course, Timothy's on again. A good story for what it was. Uh, anyway, Dooku Jedi Lost. And the reason I wanted to mention that is because I've had this topic on my mind for about a month or so as, as I thought about bringing this podcast back into production and that is the trend of ex-evangelicals <laughs> and uh it's a fancy word it's a portmanteau if i can use that phrase a, a new word that's a combination of well it's ex-evangelical but twitter likes to shorten words to ex-evangelical and i wanted to think about that in light of uh, i've often done parallels between church and jedi and in this case, there's some there's an interesting thing to think about things to think about in terms of evangelical Christianity and the Jedi. Um, I'll just say right off the bat, there's an extent to which I am an ex-evangelical to some extent. I'll get into <laughs> uh, why I only limit that. Um, but 
you know, the yeah, it, it's this new trend that oh, I guess you can call it a trend. It, it's this thing that's happened over the last few decades, um, and I where it really is picked up in the last few years. And this I am going to get political, but about the United States, uh, specifically referring to evangelicals as in the conservative evangelical community in the United States and um, how it was very closely aligned with Republican politics, with social conservatism, with American identity as being wrapped up in, and this is, I do believe the case, very white, straight male uh, privilege (laughs) and um, all the policies and culture that comes through that. And so... uh, what exvangelical then means and really it means two different things there are two and a half categories of exvangelical i would say this is from what i can tell what it basically means is people who have left that community left that faith system or that specific set of beliefs about scripture and about the gospel and uh, uh, you know, and, and what life is like, life on earth today and how we go about the relationship to the rest of the world and to creation um, has, have left that community and have gone in what I see are one of two directions there are and, and, and so uh, yeah so the two and a half right <laughs> um, yeah it's two directions in terms of where their own beliefs and faith have gone and they interestingly i find they map on to uh two and a half three well i'd say three different examples we see in the prequel era of star wars and um it it's tricky (laughs) and i'll get into why it's tricky but the first example that it, it doesn't, it's hard, it's tricky to say this in terms of real people in the real world because we know motivations are complicated. But one of the things that a lot of ex-evangelicals of any stripe uh, really balk against is it's very conservative, very strict sexual ethics. Um, it's very strict claims on we're this and and this ecclesiological claim that we're this community that is a minority it's a persecuted minority in the united states that actually frankly deluded themselves into believing that there was quote open season on christians (laughs) and um and so and these so i'm getting at what these beliefs are um you know they the, you know, they, so they say us against the world and it feels like God's not dead and, and um, very combative uh, positions against secular society and liberalism and <laughs> liberal politics and as if they're tearing the country apart and then they're out to uh, wipe Christians out you know there's a claim of freedom of religion the classic, classic position, and, and what, we're, what I'm getting at really is fundamentalism, specifically. The classic position is has to do with 
scripture, Bible, right? Literal creationism. This idea that, for example, right, that, well, no, it's not just an example. It is this fairly prominent idea that, uh, and, and a major idea that uh, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 literally have to be scientific fact. And by that I mean it literally has to have happened that way, or else the whole Bible falls apart, right? And so along comes Darwin. And then along comes, well, even before Darwin, even Galileo, <laughs> along comes uh, the theory of evolution and the, the, the scientific near consensus, at the very least, of natural selection and common ancestors and, and all these things that you, you can't point to chapter and verse in the Bible and, and find. And... Uh, and so, you know, the, that's seen as a threat. And alongside of that is, and actually N.T. Wright himself, you know, the, well, I'd say the great voice on what the New Testament is and what scripture is of our age in the English language. Um, if you want to know more about the New Testament, go to N.T. Wright. About the Bible as a whole. He goes into, in, in one of his podcasts on the Premier Christian Network, um, how historical criticism and the rise of these scientific understandings of literary criticism. So saying, okay, this part of this passage from Deuteronomy comes from this source, or sorry, a better, better example would be maybe Genesis and Exodus comes from this source and this passage comes from this source. And they do that with the New Testament text and trying to find these, why, why Matthew, Mark, and Luke are so similar and, um, saying, okay, this traditional authorship, this was just a human way of lending authority to the text. And, uh, and and to be fair, I do believe that there was this scientific arrogance, the sense that, oh, now we have a handle on what the Bible is. We're going to stand over the Bible and not let it actually speak to us meaningfully today. And you have these... Uh, this movement born of uh, pietism, born of uh, you know very emotive, but very strongly biblical teaching and preaching that comes legitimately from the Reformation and the way Scripture was central. Scripture is central to the Reformation, um, but it becomes you know this very emotive. Dare I say, not the most educated. Group. I mean, they are educated. They're they're educated to some extent, but they're not necessarily the most intellectual. Here's this very intellectual group. It does actually match, in a lot of ways, uh, the the elite intellectual, academic, you know, New England stereotype versus the Southern uh, anti-intellectual, anti-science uh, conservatives in the U.S. And that uh, that those cult those cultural movements colliding. And so what we get is in response to the saying, oh, the Bible, you know, we have this handle on the scripture on the Bible. It's just this collection is smattering. Bill Maher uh, irks me, <laughs> but he provides a good example of, of this attitude of, of Jewish book of fairy tales. And so in response to that, and that's the funny thing, it, it's in response to this historical criticism that you have 
this very strong biblical literalism that comes out and says, nope, we're going to shut our ears to science. It had to have been absolutely true that way. There's no options. There's no questions or inquiry. Um, and this, this exemplifies per what the ex-evangelicals are often reacting to. And because they're, they're taught because in growing up, and, and I was taught this somewhat too, again, you know, Scripture is literally true. Uh, you're saved. Salvation means you make this emotional, personal response to Jesus, and all of a sudden your life, uh, uh, your, you know, your life is, is solved and everything's going to be hunky-dory. Um, you know, this is an exaggeration, and I... And, and if you want me to go into more detail, I do go into more detail in a previous Rogue episode called Reportedly Evangelicals, and I go into different movements that have borne that name. Um, some of them, I'd say, I am very, you know, have a very high opinion of, and some I don't have the highest opinion of. <laughs> but what, uh, you know, ex-evangelicals are often reacting to are, yeah, that that everything's going to be fine as long as you stay in line with, yeah, this this very you know, male headship, um, heteronormative, uh, implied racism, very much tie, again, tying it to American identity. Uh, you know, there was the isolationist foreign policy as part of that, but then that became part of imperialist foreign policy, towards, especially towards the end of the 20th century. Uh, a lot of things, frankly, that have led to, more recently, the uh, evangelical support for, for Donald Trump. And ex a lot of people, a lot of younger people, especially, said, no, wait a minute. <laughs> We've, we're encountering this complexity of life. And the vision of God that you've presented to us is much too narrow for us to actually live meaningfully in the world, for, actually, for us to actually be hopeful and constructive and engage in love and in joy. Because all we see is fear, right? A lot of, it's an open season on Christians. Well, where does that come from? It's a response of fear. Well, the, the historical critics, intellectuals are taking away our scripture. We're afraid it's not going to be meaningful to us, so we have to hunker down. And uh, you know it, that, especially, and this is the biggest thing: that God's will is only this one small, specific thing. And this is the only way you worship. This is the only way you can pray. So, I mean, there's this even a little bit, and there is actually to some extent an anti-Catholic residue of the Reformation here. Um, that's changing, I, I will admit, but uh, it's very you know, narrow, unstable, shaky ground that uh, doesn't actually speak to a lot of younger people today. That's not entirely true. There, there are a lot of younger people especially those who stand to gain from these kinds of ideas. People who are groomed in the image, the next generation. But 
Um, a lot of people are, you know, it's a don't ask questions. A lot of, it's the, the purview of youth to ask questions and uh, to say the emperor has no clothes. So that, that's the fundamentalism that the reacting yank some, you know, some water. Well, that's kind of funny. <laughs> um, so what ex-evangelical then again is they go, they go to university, they go into the world, they see actually people of other faiths, people of no faith, maybe not that bad. Um, they listen to experiences of people at the margins, you know, LGBTQ, Black, Hispanic, in, in Canada, Indigenous, right? Um, and they they come and say, "Wait a minute, what if there is good here? What if I'm called to love these people, and the best way to love these people is to make space in my life for them? And what if the way..." I've been raised is keeping me from doing that these attitudes and ideas and I know a bit of part of this is straight up youthful rebelliousness that can be part of it too um, both legitimate form of the need to stake your own your own life in adolescence out of your parents shadow but also all those old farts they don't know anything attitude which again fundamentalism reacted against right um if we back up for a second, well, the, the the biggest thing that I do believe any sort of conservative reaction, and I use the word conservative intentionally, as in wanting to maintain the past, or maintain what's from the past, the biggest reaction is the loss of relevance, the loss of the reaction against this loss of relevance. Uh, reaction two, I should say, as in, you know, Christian moral teaching, Christian faith, it just doesn't capture the imagination of people in our society. This very specific, narrow evangelical idea doesn't really capture the imagination of a lot of people, especially as they experience the the stress and the disappointments of life. And and I think and uh, to their credit, I think a lot of Evangelicals are actually very sad about this fact, right? That um, they, you know, they, they want <laughs> to envision God. They experience a God. I experience a God who can handle, who can make space and hold for brokenness and disappointment. But sad that not a lot of people are seeing it the way they saw it when they grew up. So that... Yeah, so there's sadness, but then there's also uh, anger and fear and loss of our power and control and just the the consensus and the expectation. We can go out and reasonably expect that people understand what we mean, and that creates all this cognitive dissonance and strain, and ultimately saying, no, we got to just elect someone who's going to bash them and wipe them out and lock their kids in cages and we're just going to turn a blind eye. Yeah. So that's, that's again, what ex-evangelicals are reacting. So take another sugar water. 
and get to the meat of what I'm trying to get at here then is, at least I think that's <coughs> what a lot of evangelicals are reacting to. One thing, another thing they're saying is, and this is common among both, is um, their own desires. Right? One of the messages that we've grown up with is that desire is inherently bad. It's very much this platonic sort of thing. Unless it's, uh, even, even then, I mean, desire male, sexual desire for a woman is okay. <laughs> as long as it leads to marriage and kids. Um, but there isn't really this celebration of what I want. It's this ingrained sense of the cross uh, calls me to deny myself and therefore what they, they interpret that as being as deny my own desires and, and what it basically leads is to repression, right? Um, and an inability to see actually what if God can use my desires for good out there in the world with people. Um, right? and, and that's a bit of a rabbit trail about marriage, which I don't necessarily need to get to explicitly. But what, uh, what I mean, a big, a, a big group of evangelicals are LGBTQ themselves. Um, very prominent and very important voice saying actually this is how they're wired understanding actually it isn't it isn't necessarily a choice like wake, people wake up one day not me I'm straight but um, you know what I hear them saying is it's not like I woke up one day and decided to throw out everything I've been taught because I felt like it it's, it's how they're wired and socialized and all these various causes that's more complicated than a lot of people make it out to be. So that's that's a uh, another very common, very important aspect to this is how how do I live in the world? And and it's true to some extent even as as a straight person, you know, like making sense of my desire for a woman, which you know, especially in light of me too, and you know, facing up to the need of all straight men to face up to our complicity in rape culture is to acknowledge, okay, this is part of how I live in the world. It doesn't control me. I don't want to, can't carve it out of my own self, but it just needs to find its proper place alongside this general respect and dignity and decency that I want to treat others and, you know, treat others and hope they treat me too. Oh, who said that? <laughs> so that's the broader evangelical thing. Within that are uh, two different, and, and they're as different as they're similar, I would say. Two different destinations, endpoints, or, or directions that they go in. Uh, the one direction that they go in, which has two branches, is they they full on say, this is what Christian faith is, this is what faith in God is. Well, forget that, I'm going to leave. <laughs> and they, they, the experiences, the uh, encounters they've had, 
that you know their view their vision of God that they were taught can't contain means that they lose a vision of God entirely or at least it becomes this very vague uh, or, or honest admission that you know what agnostics say is we just don't know and we're not going to be arrogant enough to claim that right to be fair um, one of the things they say is one of the directions they go in is well this community is very angry and fearful and uh, can you know be borderline oppressive and uh, cultish internally and is pursuing these policies that are very harmful to creation and humanity. Well, also, I forgot another thing to mention. I mean, global warming, global warming for among a lot of event conservative fundamentalists can't be possible. It's a hoax, um, and there, there's a lot of oil politics and energy politics involved in that. A lot of environmental movements, Christian environmental movements, and others contain a lot of ex-evangelicals. And it also contains evangelicals, I should be very clear. There are a lot of evangelicals who have maintained their belief in the gospel and in the way they worship. And again, go back to my, my evangelical episode. I'm talking about this very specific fundamentalist community that is very prominently in the news right now. Anyway, the, the, move, the, 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 the branch of ex-evangelicals that move into agnosticism and full-on atheism. And, uh, and and I do believe they come by it honestly. Right? Again, if if Christian faith, if faith is taught is so narrow, then just the step, one step outside of it means they have to be. Right? If Genesis 1 and 2 have to literally be true, but I'm convinced of evolution, then all of Scripture has to fall apart. And just that logic that's built up it's a similar logic so i think of a character someone like derek webb who uh, he went through was a lead singer for cabin's call and he went through and it was a very prominent christian band that i still love um, and he went through, through this messy divorce and was given so much flack. And it wasn't just because of the divorce, because he was starting to ask questions and he was starting to uh, critique the alliance of Christians, evangelical Christians and conservative politics and American identity in that sense. And uh, he was ostracized. The distributors stopped distributing his stuff. His voice was silenced. And so in a way, it's almost, it wasn't quite a business move, but in a way, in order to continue his voice, he had to leave what he thought. He had to leave the faith. And to some extent, I am sad about that. Another extent, I, you know, I understand it, right? It's, it's what we're dealing with are our personal realities and where you can find a home. And my view of God is big enough to actually, for God to actually see and understand that, right? Um, and God to be the judge. So, yeah, it, and Derek Webb's story is complicated. Where in Star Wars do we see that parallel? And to my mind, uh, the closest person we got, and I've mentioned her before, and that is what we see with Ahsoka Tano. Now, I want to be clear, in all these parallels, none of them lose faith in the Force. None of them stop believing that 
the force can be an ally and binds life together and um, <laughs> you know we can lift rocks or whatever you know and that there even that there is a will of the force um, it's just that what I'm specifically talking about is the institution of the Jedi I'm talking about you know, that parallel there um, I think with Ahsoka she most clearly and I said she's not a great Jedi <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination she wants to seek the light she wants to be part of this rebuild after the empire has completely you know, leveled its boot on the galaxy it's so important actually to her story that she becomes a critical figure in the rebel alliance because it shows that she has not abandoned the welfare of the galaxy by abandoning the Jedi. She's actually found a way and finding a way to seek the welfare of the galaxy and work and contribute her skills and talents towards that. Um, and so, you know, that that's deeply important. She experiences the worst of uh, the Jedi easy alliance with Republic power. She it was falsely accused. I, I come back to that moment at the end of season six of season six, I believe, of Clone Wars, where I mean that to me is just you know, it's it's that catalyst that gets Anakin to start thinking, and I'll get to Anakin in a minute. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ahsoka, she cannot. She sees even the corruption and the embeddedness of the Jedi in the Republic and the Clone Wars and just that easy alliance again. And she's seen how it's affected her personally. And she has to leave and go out on her own, uh, her walkabout, if you will. Now she, What we're going to see in Clone, the last season of Clone Wars is her actually taking up arms again, but not as a Jedi. And she's not willing to embrace that label. She's not willing to be part of that family anymore. And uh, because it's holding her back, right? She wants to seek that welfare. And again, that's what I see with a lot of ex-evangelicals who just who cannot maintain their vision of God, their hope and their faith in that, that God will restore all things, but they deeply love and they deeply care. And they seek out communities where they can be a home and they can provide a home. And, um, you know, and, and, it, and so um, what do we do with that as Christians? You know, again, let God be the judge. We can listen and work with and work alongside. Right? Again, a lot of environmental movements and... Um, you know the Me Too movement, and you know people have experienced these things firsthand, needing to get out. Right. So that's that one group, and then uh, take some water. Wow, that's a, an interesting water bottle. <laughs> um, I mentioned the half, and this is tricky again because motivations are complicated. One of the ways in which people resist the rep repression of desire 
is they need to dart into this very self-interested direction. And, I mean, I've heard one or two stories of this. I won't go into details. Um, but, you know, working for prioritizing career over family or uh, you know, self-advancement self over uh, you know, the welfare of the community, for example. Now, again, what that comes from, I think, is this ingrained sense that you sacrifice your desire, you sacrifice your welfare to submit to this controlling entity of people who are governed by their selfish desires already, right? I mean, that's the power within fundamentalist communities often, right? Leads to, begets, you know, selfishness begets selfishness. And the two parallels we see with this, right? I mentioned Dooku Jedi Lost. You mentioned how, you know, in that story, and hopefully I'm not going to give too much away, but Dooku, you know, sees how, you know, how much the Jedi are retrenched, entrenched in, in the policies of the Republic and centralizing in the core. And knows that there are so many worlds out there, especially in the Outer Rim and Mid-Rim, that are establishing their own power bases and wanting to be wanting to be independent, and um, you know, he has these ties to his family, to his home, that are forbidden, but he secretly <laughs> forges them anyways, um, including conflict with his father and a very loving relationship with his sister. And at the you know at the end of the story, he snatches this opportunity, and he leaves the order and becomes the Count of Sereno, and says, "No, I'm going to establish this world for myself. I'm going to you know build up my own mini empire on this planet." And you know that's the funny thing: there are no gray Jedi. It is this slip to the dark side. Darth Sidious can just walk in. Uh, we don't actually have the story of how he becomes a Sith, but Darth Sidious can walk in, say, "Hey, you know, you you want power? I'll give you power," and uh, you don't need to follow the narrow dogmatic view of the Jedi. Narrow dogmatic, right? Uh, here's here's a means to power. It's through the dark side. The probably the most prominent ex Jedi, and, and this is funny because I don't think of him like this enough. Because we lose the forest for the trees, but he's the forest. <laughs> Anakin Skywalker is an ex Jedi, right? Ahsoka, Ahsoka's experience, um, seeing that, seeing the corruption of the Jedi, seeing. You know, having Darth Sidious in his ear constantly being turned away, uh, turning him away, and you're forbidden with these attachments to Padme and not being able to process them publicly in health in a healthy way. Wanting the power to save her and to hold on to what he might lose. You know, fearing what he might lose. Uh, yeah, he falls to the dark side. 
Right. If you think this turn in episode three is quick, it's not. It's it makes complete sense and logical sense and is well built up. Um, he leaves the narrow dogmatic view of the Jedi, and the only way out is not more light, but it's straight to the dark. Right, and you see Luke Skywalker on Octo being afraid of the same thing. Right, Kylo Ren, another ex Jedi, in this mighty Skywalker blood. We don't have that story yet. We were we're getting that story soon. But that's the thing that Luke is afraid of with Rey. He went straight to the dark. Right. I don't think that's actually what's happening in that scene. But he has precedent to go on. So, so that's the negative and the sad part. I'll get to this third example. Get to it right now. So, again, there's the agnostic direction of exvangelical. I said I'm only sort of an exvangelical, partly because um, I don't, you know, th there are aspects of evangelicalism I, I I do see fondly and care about. Right? Uh, I do believe scripture is active and speaks to us. I don't believe all of it has to be literally true in order to speak and be meaningful to us. I believe in the you know, salvation through Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again as the incarnate Son of God. Right? Uh, that's, that's just Christian dogma. Right? And I don't believe dogma itself is a narrow thing. I believe it's wider. A lot of evangelicals are getting that. I went to an ev the Evangelical Anglican College at the University of Toronto. There is a strain of British evangelicalism that is far more open to the world. It's far more positive and attractional and missional and just, yeah, uh, joyful. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's Protestant Reformed, sure. Uh, I don't fully track with that, but... It, it's there's so much we can work together on that that division I don't really see that division anymore uh, but I did grow up in that this narrow community to some extent and I went to university and I uh, you know felt and experienced the disappointment and uh, brokenness of life as have so many as have everyone really to some extent but um, what's true still true for all evangelicals that uh, the vision of God and a faith that's presented being so narrow what this new I'd say relatively newer more interesting strain of evangelicals are those who actually see the Christian faith as being far more broad, far more inclusive, far more engaged in the world, having a sense of creation, of um, you know, longevity for the past 2,000 years, 3,000 years of God moving with the church and carrying on our tradition and innovating along and the way that tradition innovates. Um, 
a God who is generous and hospitable and caring and, yeah, you know, uh, cares about the welfare of creation that we, through our own efforts, have, have brought to the brink of ruin. Cares about, deeply about the experiences and desires of LGBTQ and of, you know, African Americans and of Hispanic Americans and of Indigenous Canadians and um, the even the uh, the reasons why uh, Islamic fundamentalism arises. Here, what have we in the West provoked that? I do believe God asks, asks us that question. What have we done? <laughs> and then God asks us this question. What have we done to lose our cultural relevance, to lose our cultural voice? It's God who's asking us, right? It's not us asking the church. It's God asking the church. And I found in that, you just even in that question, the ability, and just even the way to sit in that question, I found a community of you know, mainline Christians who have lots of assumptions entrenched in a world that is past. Some are trying to maintain again in in fear and anxiety or just wanting peace and comfort comfort, trying to maintain the Christian consensus of the past and have a very antagonistic view of the world. Some trying to maintain the authority and stature of the past and therefore are also believe that tradition and scripture don't have as much to say. I found among younger Anglicans, Catholics, Lutherans, United Church, Methodists, I found this group that's meeting in the middle. A lot of us have come from these fundamentalist denominations have said, okay, the sacraments, right? The saints, the lives of the saints. Rethinking, say, even the way the Blessed Virgin Mary is a sign of human cooperation with God and not about repressing desires or anything. A place for our desires, our created given desires within God's life. Being aware of the ways that when desires control us, that leads to sinfulness and leads to destructive relationships. Leads us to turn away from God. Being aware of those things. But one of the great examples is a tweet I've read recently, and I forget uh, who it's by. I'll, I'll find it in the description. But the phrasing, what if I take every thought captive, doesn't mean um, repress your desires. It means question the politics and easy relationship between faith and you know, the the power structures of the world right. uh, which is interesting again because uh, you know on the one hand we don't want to have an antagonistic view of the world of the creative people generally of culture and of the vibrancy of the city but also we can question the ways the city oppresses people right 
I found that, and we found that within these mainline churches. And I think a lot of evangelical denominations are moving in that direction too, right? Again, scripture doesn't have to all be literally true. Yes, we, you know, <laughs> this weird thing that came up that I kind of ignored on Episcopal Anglican Twitter about uh, the resurrection, right? Uh, you know, of course, we, yes, bodily resurrection, even though you can't prove it. And that's kind of the point is that, you know, frankly, historical critical, text critical, scientific questions about how the Bible came together, I don't really care about them <laughs> all that much. That doesn't really pose the questions that tease out what Scripture is. Okay? I do think for some examples, like Paul talking about men sleeping with men being an abomination, I think it's very important to point out specifically what he's talking about there and I think it has to do with uh, temple prostitution of boys <laughs> right um, I think we can all agree that institutionalized ritualized rape is a, an abomination yes um, do committed same sex relationships among, with two consenting adults lifelong covenant who seek a lifelong covenant in the the fellowship of the church before god is that an abomination i i you know i don't think so um, are people human beings ever an abomination no <laughs> that is right out we bear the image of god regardless of what we do regardless of what we believe um, you know, regardless of what community we happen to be in, we all bear the image of God, and the church has a vocation to uh, to reveal that image, to honor that image as worshiping God. Okay, that's <laughs> that was a lot. Um, where do we see in Star Wars someone who? Stands outside of this, the narrow strain, asks questions of it, but doesn't give up on the mission of the Jedi in the world. Again, my, one of my heroes is Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, I think Obi-Wan Kenobi to some extent later. Right? Uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, who... I mean, he's infused with this pro these prophecies and infused with the sense of the mystical and prioritizes the living force maybe over the unifying force that he sees the Jedi Council prioritizing. Stands outside of the, pu the power structure uh, of the Jedi Council. Yes, he does missions for the Chancellor, but really he's out there to seek the peace as a Jedi. He doesn't leave the Order, right? Mm. Darth Tyrannus is completely wrong in saying, oh, uh, to, to Obi-Wan, oh, if, if you know, Qui-Gon would have joined me. No, he really wouldn't have. Because Qui-Gon Jinn, to my mind, exemplifies the very best of what a Jedi is. 
the very best of the light. He points forward to, it's funny, he's, he's the first Jedi we see. He points forward to I think the very thing that Rey is called to bring up. Um, he's reaching back into the traditions of the past and innovating forward in ways even he doesn't even know and recognize. Right? He's definitely probably calling for reforms. Probably doesn't see them realistically realized. Uh, he sees the writing on the wall about the Jedi and the influence of losing the influence and that Age of Republic one shot. He sees, he can foresee how the Jedi are going to be punished for and judged for uh, their role in the Clone Wars and in part be responsible for their own downfall. He can see that. <laughs> and yet, he never denies being a Jedi. He's just a bit of a different kind of Jedi. So, that's that parallel there. One last thought. And that brings me to Obi-Wan and Yoda. And, you know, try as they might and as wise as they are. And Obi-Wan is definitely my favorite, you know, parallel for different reasons in that if we're going to, you know, call the whole Jedi Order, the whole mainline church. Um, nevertheless, they're very much part of the council and decisive generals in the Grand Army of the Republic and very much going along just like Mace Windu and Obi-Wan and Yoda are condemned and condemned by judgment really maybe by the will of the force to meditate on failure and uh, to the point where as we've seen in The Last Jedi one of the greatest lines in all of Star Wars one that bring me, tears me up <laughs> every single time you know, often when I think about it right? you know, even as he's meditating on failure he's still you know, in Dagobah <clears throat> telling Luke pass on what you've learned maintain tradition maintain integrity with the Jedi of the past and he continues this noticing that Luke hasn't out of fear right in a way Luke is an ex-Jedi in that sense just thinking about that but he maintains or he comes back to to Luke how many years after Luke has given up and Yoda's dead and comes as a force ghost heeded my words did you not pass on what you have learned strength mastery yes weakness folly failure as well yes the greatest teacher failure is and that's where we are as Christians in the west in the 21st century for ill and for good we've failed 
to live up to, well, we failed to matter for ill and for good. We failed to matter in the lives of so many young people. The sad things we failed to communicate this conviction that we genuinely hold, that the good news of Jesus Christ matters to everyone. You know, Yoda wanting Luke to communicate that the will of the Force and the traditions of the Jedi as seeking peace and justice in the galaxy with integrity and wisdom, that matters, can matter to people again. And, and you know, uh, remarking on the failures of the past. You know, we, we failed to, to adapt. We failed to, as Christians, you know, the church, we failed to adapt. Some haven't, right? Um, and, and we're going to have to in the next few decades. And part of that is going to be this reflection on this failure. What is Yoda getting out there? And I think there's a temptation and for the longest time I thought this is what he meant was this very technical sense of okay well we did this 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 and this wrong this didn't work out or we tried this this and this didn't work out uh, let's try this 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 again and yeah that's part of it or, or let's try this instead rather try this instead and yeah that's part of it but the thing about failure especially on such a colossal scale as the fall of the Jedi in Order 66 as the end of Christendom and the, the loss, loss of relevance. I mean, or, or at least a perceived failure, right? The thing about that, that experience of loss, of failure, to be relevant at least, is it presses what we value most. Right? Even why we label that a failure, right? Because it throws into about question, well, was that really a success before? And, you know, again, I've talked about this. My view of Christendom is that it just was. There were things to celebrate and things to lament. Just like today, there are things to celebrate and things to lament. Yeah. Huh. What do we really care about? What have we lost sight of? And that's the thing. That's why it's the greatest teacher is because it leads us to say, it leads us to, and sometimes forces us to examine those things anew and to relearn, right? To unlearn what we have learned and relearn uh, what we're called to be and how we're called, called to do in the world. And that's true for mainline Christians in the West in the 21st century. And that's true for Ray in The Rise of Skywalker and the, the year leading up. Failure, properly understood, is an opportunity. An opportunity to reform this relationship to the Force I can seek the welfare of the galaxy and the destiny of the galaxy more fully, more clearly. Loss of Christendom, loss of our cultural influence, 
declining membership in parishes, declining money, in some cases declining uh, positions for for full-time clergy. It'll force us into creativity and, and not change not for its own sake, but adaptation, Again, not necessarily adaptation to the world as it is, but adaptation, not, not specifically or exclusively to the world as it is, but adaptation to what God is calling us to be, who God is calling us to be, as those who show his love in the world, bear his presence, bread and wine, and in the word of scripture. And that's the funny thing, is at its best, evangelicalism has been all about that. All about that creative creative energy moving forward. And as mainline Christians, we ought to take up that opportunity as well. So let's hear the example of Qui-Gon. Let's see what Ray does going forward. And... Let's hear Yoda's words that the greatest teacher failure is because it's not about success, it's about faithfulness. So that's been episode 49. Um, Being fairly introspective, hopefully not too, too long, but hopefully you appreciated it. If you have any thoughts, Tweet at me at neug nine sorry, neug four eighty five. <laughs> sorry, it took me a second. Neug four eighty five. Instagram mneug eleven thirty eight. Please let me know what you think. Like, subscribe, etc. So this has been episode forty nine of For Christ's Sake, and hopefully doing something special for episode fifty. We'll see. But for now. Thanks for listening. May the Force be with you always.